The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A Tuesday PFT OT, PFT PM, extra PFT beyond PFT Live. We're still enjoying the new format without the radio clock that requires us to take breaks all the time. We can get into deeper conversations. In this setting, we have no breaks to worry about at all. We can talk as long as we want. And let's start with a topic, Chris, that has kind of come up a couple of times this offseason as it relates to Derrick Henry and the Titans. Derrick Henry has signed his franchise tender, um, and we don't know whether or not that's going to become a long-term deal. Christian McCaffrey, we talked about on the show today, wants a long-term contract and I believe will draw a line in the sand to try to get it. The question is, when we look at some of the contracts that have been meted out to running backs in recent years, why is anyone paying big money for running backs? Because have any of them actually earned the second contracts they've received? No, well, no, I I think it's a really good conversation. It's scary. I'd be scared to give a running back big money on that second contract right now. No doubt about it. I mean, when you just look at the last three guys to get big money, you know, I'm scarred by that. Of course, Ezekiel Elliott last year. Yeah, I don't think he performed uh, up to that cap or his capabilities are up to the standard of being the number one running back in the sport. Of course, we've seen what happened with Todd Gurley and the risk reward factor there. Le'Veon Bell. Another guy in the mix there, David Johnson. I mean, you you know, the, those the last four big running back contracts have all not really worked out in the favor of the team. So to me, that's the big thing, Mike. Like Christian McCaffrey, who with every other position, you would go, okay, he's the next guy up and he's towards the top of his position, if not at the top. You know, we expect him always to be the highest paid guy, right? In any other position. But a running back, I want to sit there and go, mm, I don't know if that's a necessarily a, a true fact of the matter here. I don't know. Can, is Carolina going to throw $16 million a year out to Christian McCaffrey? I, I think it's very debatable to me. Well, and you could argue Christian McCaffrey's in a different position than some of these other running backs because of what he means both in the passing game and the running game. Sure. Only the third guy in league history to have over 1,000 yards in a season, both rushing and receiving. But still, it's a position where we see the wear and tear very quickly accumulate. We see guys who, by the time they are earning the big money, by the time they are a couple of years into that second contract, or in some cases, the first year into that second contract, Their best days are fading into the rearview mirror. It is a buyer beware proposition. And the Rams surely regretted giving Todd Gurley the contract. The Jets surely regretted paying Le'Veon Bell once he became a free agent. And the Cowboys may regret giving Ezekiel Elliott what they gave him, especially as they're struggling to get Dak Prescott signed. You just have to wonder, will the Panthers do it? Will the Titans do it? From the Titans' perspective, maybe it's better to have Derrick Henry continuing to chase the carrot and let someone else 
give him big money. Let someone else step into that situation where they may say, why in the hell did we do this? I just feel like with so many of these running backs, except Adrian Peterson, who got his second contract in 2011 and was the NFL's MVP the following year after recovering from a torn ACL, which, you know, at first it looked like they made a mistake paying him all that money because of the torn ACL. In recent years, the contracts that have been given to running backs, the big contracts, most of them have been mistakes. And most of them should result in teams saying we shouldn't have done it. And it really makes me wonder, is that going to keep the Titans from doing it with Henry? And will it keep the Panthers from doing it with McCaffrey? And will they ultimately have to trade him? His benefit right now, Chris, is he's the face of the franchise post-Cam Newton and post-Luke Keekley. They can't afford to move on from him if they want to put fans in the stands, although that may not matter this year because there may be no fans allowed at the games anyway. Well, and, and, you know, to further your point there at the end, which I think is very real, I mean, yes, you're right. He's the face of the franchise right now. And then it's Matt Rule and Joe Brady. And, again, we've talked about this a lot, but Joe Brady is running that Sean Payton scheme in New Orleans. The back out of the backfield in the pass game is going to be paramount to the success for Teddy Bridgewater and the Panthers' offense. So he does have a little bit of a stranglehold there altogether. But I really think with like these NFL teams, yeah, they're going to have to start figuring out creative ways to save their butts on the back end uh, with some of these running backs. Because, yeah, you mentioned it. Adrian Peterson's you know, a, a, a diamond in a haystack. It doesn't happen very often. He's a freak of nature. He's the, one of the three greatest running backs of all time for my money. You know, we saw LaShawn McCoy. Okay, I would say another guy who got you know, big money before it became really big, but at least he stayed healthy and played to that level. But those are rare Hall of Fame talent type guys. And uh, yeah, so the running back position, it falls in a hurry. You know, I, I, you know you, it just does. These guys, four or five years of getting car crash after car crash, all of a sudden you get to year six and you go, whoa, he lost a step. You know, I saw it with running backs in my NFL career. It can fall off a cliff in a, in a real, real hurry, and that's what I would worry about. All right, uh, I think we've resolved that topic. We can move on to some of the questions posed by you at the PFT Twitter account. Let's start with a question from Jason Moore, otherwise known as at Laneman24. Is it more likely that the lack of draft prep hurts incompetent organizations more or gives a bigger leg up to the well-run teams? Chris, what do you think? Well, it's a good. this is a good question. Very good question. I actually think it hurts the well-run teams. I do. I think the well-run teams have this process down to a science to where, yes, between the evaluation of film, personal workouts, and meeting with a guy, they know what they really like. And I think the, the aspect of the personal workout is where I think it's going to really hurt the well-run teams. The, the well-run teams are able to go, ooh, I saw something on film I like, all right? You know, I'm not so sure about the competition around him and all those things. Man, you know, I also like these other guys at this position too. Let's get them in here for a personal workout, and then we can get a little closer look. And I think the really well-run teams have an eye for, you know, certain positions or certain players or just knowing what to look for in a workout to go, that's going to translate to the NFL, right? I I always think of Dante Scarnecchia here, Mike, with this. Dante Scarnecchia had like his own routine in New England that he put the offensive lineman through uh, when it was a free agent or a draft guy, which was not the same as any other offensive line coach I ever saw put through a routine. And it was certain stretch, flexibility drills, 
other strength drills, all these type of things that allowed Adante Scarnecchia to nitpick a guy and go, ooh, I like that he can do this and he can do that and he can't do this. And then Scarnecchia could find that diamond in the rough or whoever it may be or distinguish who was better and not better. And you're going to lose that aspect if you have that guy that with a keen eye in your organization right now. And remember, they did have Skarnecchia go with them to the scouting combine. So the Patriots got a little bit of that, but not the extent that they're used to. And I agree with you. Look, even though the good teams, the best teams will come up with creative ways to thrive or survive in this environment, for the teams that were dysfunctional anyway, who cares? We're throwing a dart as it is, right? We're taking the guys who slide down the board because we don't know who the hell else to take anyway. Right. I, I agree with you. The more you take away the opportunity for teams to get maximum information, the teams that know how to gather it and make the most of it are going to have less information, less valuable information than they usually have. Whereas the teams that, that don't know what the hell they're doing, who cares if you don't right. have the ability to go do all these things? They're not spending the money and the time and then all the expertise to do it right anyway. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, and even another aspect of it is, you know, hey, let's I, let's take, for example, like Pete Carroll and John Schneider. I look at those two guys and go, man, they have unbelievable people skills. They know how to work, you know, guys who maybe had a little bit of a checkered past or not the best like history on the personal side. And they can work them into the organization. And it just seems like it works good. You know, they have an unbelievable skill set of communication and, and people skills to where that's going to get lost in this process too. I know you can do the Zoom and FaceTime calls, but you know, do the Seattle Seahawks take DK Metcalf last year where there's some of the bad rumors that were going around on him, you know, without the fact that they got to meet him and be around him and really get to know him and spend a day. I'm just giving examples of like that where yeah, I know Zoom t- Zoom is good, but you're not really getting to spend the day, eat dinner, really get into some different topics, everything like that. See the body language of a guy, see if he's moody or not, anything like that. You know, the, the teams that have really good people skills, I think they're hurting this whole conversation too. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. My first thought was that the, the good teams are still going to do a great job in the draft, but I think it is a greater challenge for them because what made them great at drafting was taking full advantage of all the things that you can do to prepare, right. to gather information, to work directly with players, et cetera. All right, next up, Gears of Ted. Will COVID impact the salary cap going forward? And Chris, I'll take this one first. I don't see how it won't. Because the salary cap is driven by the money that was generated in the prior year. The NFL is going to take a hit this year in its total revenue. There's no way around it. If you can't have fans at games, that's less money that comes into the coffers. And I think the only chance they have at, at keeping this, this uh, revenue stream big enough so it doesn't affect next year's salary cap is if there's no college football, there's no high school football, and the NFL expands yes. to three windows on Saturday, Friday right. night, and, and ultimately has nine broadcast windows per week instead of the usual five. Thursday, three on Sunday, and Monday. Add Friday and three on Saturday. Gives you nine in all. If they do that and then come out of it kind of on the fly with, with bigger broadcast deals. Now, good luck finding 
networks, they're going to cough up that kind of money, be able to cough up that kind of money. But I think that's the way to potentially do it because, look, people are going to be looking for programming if there's no college football. People are going to want things to watch on Saturday, and people are going to want to put things on TV for people to watch when there is no college football if it comes to that. And I really do believe right now, and nobody knows, but if I had to guess right now, I'd say there won't be high school football, there won't be college football, there will be NFL football in the fall. They'll find a way to play, and maybe they'll find a way to play on Fridays and Saturdays to make back the money that comes from not having fans in the stands. Either way, either way, though, it's a real dynamic for 2021. Less money made this year by the NFL is less money available to share with the players next year. Yep, and excuse the noise in the background. My dog, Bentley, has got his bone here, and he's going to town on it, all right? So if you're hearing that, that's what that is. But back to the facts of the matter here, you're right. I mean, yes, it's definitely going to impact the salary cap. I would think so. You know, I thought about that, too, right off the bat. But the other aspect, the the thing that came off to my mind was, you know, you hit on it. You know, as it looks right now, it's certainly going to be a whole lot harder to have a college football season with as many teams as there are in the school aspect and all of those things. You know, the NFL, I think it'll be easier for them to pull it off. Not easy, but, you know, if they can pull it off and there is no high school football or college football, oh my gosh. And, and, you know, if there's no sports at all up until that point, I mean, people are going to be like, like, you know, drooling for football or sports or competition or any sense of live TV. And I would think the ratings would have a chance to just go absolutely through the roofs as people are starved for the content and the action, but also probably still unwilling to go about their social lives. And, you know, hey, yeah, I, I envision in September and October that I'm probably still going to be thinking, like, do I go out to dinner with my wife on Friday night, date night tonight. I, I don't know, you know, how dangerous will the COVID-19 implications still be? So, uh, you know, that's, that's where my mind is with that. You hear my right, dog in the background? Item. Can you hear him? I, I, I hear, I hear him. I hear him. I think that Bentley is very impatient. You were explaining before we got started, Bentley is accustomed to after the show ends going outside and playing fetch. Bentley is very yes. anxious to get outside and play fetch. All right, yes. well, we'll wrap this up so Bentley can get his fetch in. No, screw Bentley. Don't worry. He's a dog. He'll be ben- fine. Don't Bentley, worry. Bentley, Bentley really looks like a good boy. I, I, he ben- is. Even though I, I'm not a big fan of German Shepherds because when I used to deliver newspapers, there was one specific German Shepherd that, even though it was chained up, it scared the crap out of me every day. That it, It's not that traditional black and brown menacing German Shepherd look. Bentley's got the all black where you don't realize he's a German shepherd. So I, that, that I, I like Bentley's a good looking dog. I like Bentley. Thank I would you. like Bentley Thank until, you. until Bentley tries to chase me. All right. And Briggs 401. How likely do you think it is that Deshaun Watson ends up in new England after this season? Remember Chris, there were some odds that were published a week or two ago and they, and they were one of the offshore sites. And we stay away from naming those because they're technically illegal and there's legalized gambling now in the NFL. I haven't seen an, uh, a legitimate sports book with these odds, but the idea that Watson was the favorite at like plus 300 to be the Patriots quarterback week one of next season, you know, on the surface it's like, is this ridiculous? Yes. But it, it does feel like he's a little upset that Deandre Hopkins is gone. And you just wonder whether he gets to the point where he's had enough of Bill O'Brien and he makes a power play to get out of Houston. And uh, if he would want to go anywhere else, why wouldn't he want to go to new England? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I hear that. Now, listen, again, we know New England right now 
seems to be all in with Jared Stidham, and they just want to see where that goes. Uh, do Deshaun Watson, do I think he would fit the New England way and fit up there? Yes. And, of course, he's had a little bit of a precursor with that, with Bill O'Brien, because he tries to run things that way as well. But I think ultimately, you know, again, this is where Houston, they got to gauge how the season goes next year a little bit. They got to be aware of what's going on in New England. I would be scared of anybody stealing Deshaun Watson and that we've upset him to where, yes, you might have to get through the halfway through the year next year and go, oh, wait, New England's not playing well. Stidham's not the guy of the future. And I would be scared as hell that they steal Deshaun Watson or anything like that. You know, I I would think that Deshaun Watson new contract needs to come now. You don't let a Deshaun Watson ever hit free agency, just like Patrick Mahomes. This is a once in a generation type talent he is a superstar and you are going to be in the playoff conversation for the next 10 years because this guy can make it happen no matter who's around him and you just don't let this guy walk out the door and look here's the other thing to realize because people assume that given the structure of the nfl if you want to keep a player against his wishes you can keep that player indefinitely here's how it works For a player like Deshaun Watson, first-round pick, you have the fifth-year option. So you can, at a minimum, keep him for five years. You can tag him once, tag him twice at a 20% increase over the first-year tag. The third time, it's a 44% increase. It becomes ridiculously expensive, especially if you use the exclusive tag like the Cowboys did with Dak Prescott. If a player is determined to get out of a given city, he has to put in at most seven years before he can walk. If you're not a first-round pick, you can get out in six years like Kirk Cousins did in Washington. But if if Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston, he can get out. And here's the other thing, too. You don't even have to put in the full seven years. What if all of a sudden you say to the team, I just don't want to be here anymore, and I'll do the bare minimum. I'll do what's required of me contractually. I'll show up for the mandatory minicamp. I'll show up for training camp. But I'm not doing anything else. I'm not coming to any of the OTAs. I'm not going to be involved in the offseason program. I'm not going to stay early or, or show up early and stay late. I'm not going to work on my off day. Don't bother calling me up and talking to me about the game plan. I, I'm just an employee like everyone else on the team. I'm not going to be a quasi-member of management because I don't want to be here anymore. I don't know how you can be effective as a modern-day NFL team without a quarterback who isn't all in. We haven't seen that play Bro. out yet. But but I think if a team senses that the relationship is moving in that direction, that's the time to get value for him. Because one of these days, one of these quarterbacks is going to say, I just work here. I, I'm, I'm not here to do anything more than what you're paying me to do. And I'm not going to be this member of management who sets the example for the rest of my teammates. Yeah, well, that, that's dangerous. You're right. And the organization is not going to go on the upward trend if the quarterback is that way. So that, it's a very real aspect you're bringing up. Now, if it did come to that, that's when the Houston Texans need to go, okay, that's fine, but this can't get released to the public. If we hear one inkling in, pub, in the public, you know, the media, anything like that, then we hear one inkling that, oh, you're not happy here. Deshaun Watson doesn't really want to play here, and now it hurts our trade value as an organization. We don't care. We'll ruin your career. I mean, that's what teams would have to do in that instance pretty much because, again, what happens more times than not with these type of players, when we know there's a disgruntled player and he's not going to play, it ends up hurting the organization because they lose their trade value because everyone goes, well, he's not going to play for you anyways. Uh, he's not going to be there. So don't you want to get something for him? 
And then that other team that's a part of it has a leg up in the trade conversation. So that's where it gets dicey for the organizations. And uh, if it does come to that, which I don't expect it to, uh, they got to be able to protect themselves that way too. Look at what they did with DeAndre Hopkins. They moved on from him before the storm arrived, before it became obvious he wanted that $22 million contract or thereabouts. And would they do that right. with Deshaun Watson? So, and you know, we talked yesterday about whether or not either side of the DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson trade may be hoping that there's a failed physical so the trade falls apart. From Houston's perspective, you just wonder if Deshaun Watson has said enough things behind the scenes that would maybe make the Texans think twice about DeAndre Hopkins leaving and think twice about paying DeAndre Hopkins what he wants. But I don't think it's come to that. I don't think either side wants that deal to fall apart. I don't think either side is looking for a way to get out of that deal. But Deshaun Watson seemingly not happy about DeAndre Hopkins being gone. All right, one more before we wrap. Mike Likes Dirt has this question. Very important question. What have you learned about yourself in quarantine? Something philosophical, a food preference, anything. Chris, what have you learned about yourself? All right, two things that I've learned about myself. One, I don't think I could ever be a school teacher, okay, with just uh, the uh, homeschooling and seeing what, you know, my wife has been doing the, the majority of the meat and potatoes of that, but just seeing that go down on a daily basis, I know that, whoa, our teachers are doing a great job and a great service for our country, and that is no easy task. I'm just dealing with my own kids. I can't imagine dealing with 20 kids in a classroom. So I have a whole new fa uh, respect for them. And the other thing is, I think I've just realized more of like, I guess I have OCD or I'm a little bit of a creature of habit. And me being thrown out of my routine, I was really almost as stressed by that, Mike, as anything. And to where I just feel like I've just here recently finally gotten a routine and calmed down. But I would wake up in the morning with like a pit in my stomach about not sure how the day was going to unfold and it wasn't going to be my normal routine. Yeah, I mean, I've learned two things. First is uh, I, I've, I've learned how fortunate I am that I already had this set up here at my house because the transition for me was so simple that I feel guilty about it. I know that millions out there <laughs> who haven't been touched by the virus, who have just been affected by this dramatic change in reality, they aren't used to working at home. They can't actually work at home they physically don't have the space necessary to work at home they can't stay out of the kitchen when they are at home I've had 10 years to learn day in and day out the discipline necessary to not stray into a room that is literally 15 feet away from my office downstairs so I was ready for this 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 change for me hasn't really been a change especially the busy times of the off season, I don't go anywhere anyway. I'm home most of the time. So uh, I've learned that, you know what? I mean, of all the blessings that I have, I mean, I, th this has been uh, because it could have turned me upside down. It could have thrust my life into disarray. And I'm sensitive to the fact that it has been a problem for others. And the one thing that I continue to harp on whenever we have the opportunity, you know, we, we talk all the time about people being, confined with their families and doing things with their families and maybe getting sick of their families. There's a lot of people out there who are confined alone. Got an yes. email from somebody earlier today. She's uh, one and a half miles away from her sister and hasn't seen her in a month. Right. And, and is alone. There are so many people who are going through this alone. And I think having others around, 
Having animals around, frankly, helps you not go as stir-crazy as you would. But for me, it's been an easy transition, and I feel grateful for that, but I also feel guilty for that. And secondly, one thing I've learned is that, like, the human animal is a creature of routine, a creature of habit. And for me, as we continue to climb this mountain into this, this, this fog that we have no idea where the top of the mountain is, you just have to focus on that each, each movement. You know, if you just stay focused on where your foot's going to go next, where your hand's going to go next, just one day at a time, one hour at a time, have little things you look forward to, time you spend with your family at night, a TV show that you watch every week, a ritual that you do. We have pasta every Sunday night, and we open a bottle of wine on Sunday night. Of course, I open bottles of wine the rest of the week, but Sunday night it's got a special feel to it. Just little things like that that you can look Definitely. forward to that get you through the days. You don't realize – I mean, it's almost like your body is this machine that can be hacked, that can be programmed – and you just need to be conscious of it, and you need to make sure you do these things and have these things as part of your routine to just keep you sane. Little things like that keep you sane, Chris. Yeah, they do. Uh, you're right. We, we have. We've done more family sit-down dinners, enjoyed that. You know, tried to take the positives. You know, I, I do. I'm trying to look at this and go, man, what am I going to think 20 years from now about this whole thing? Yes, this is a weird time, but I think in a lot of ways I want to make sure that I'm very appreciative that I've gotten to be around my wife and two kids who are nine and 13 and really got to enjoy them for extended periods of time during very fun parts of their life. I mean, nine and 13 is they're fun. I mean, as you can imagine between social media, video games, the crazy questions, uh, them learning more about life. Uh, it is very enjoyable on a daily basis. And I certainly laugh and chuckle it. I just want to make sure, yeah, we're stressed out, but, I'm I'm trying to do my best to to make sure I keep it all in perspective to be uh, very uh, happy for what I have in life and and really appreciate it. It really is amazing to think about how we will look back on this time five, ten, fifteen, twenty years from now, and will it be ever normal again? Will it ever be the way it was before? Now, look, maybe they find a vaccine and maybe everybody's fine and everybody gets it and everybody who's either had coronavirus and recovered from it, you know, they're already fine or you get the vaccine and you're fine. But it just feels like it's going to be a while before things are back to normal. It feels like it's going to be a while before sports are back as normal. Um, and, you know, Chris, I'm grateful that we've been able to keep doing what we do. I know that it helps people out there who are looking for a break from the bad news. And I know it helps me because for two and a half, three hours every morning, I can just focus on this and I'm not watching the news and I'm not sitting around worried about this family member, that family member, you know, our next grocery run. And are we going to be sure to properly wipe everything down and just constantly being conscious of washing your hands and not touching your face and that, that, that background noise. And that's really what it is. It's a level of background noise that has increased dramatically things we have to worry about and be conscious of. And this every day for me, every weekday at least, is a couple of hours where I can forget about that stuff and just focus on something that feels normal. Of all the things yeah. that have changed, what we do five days a week, or for you, four days a week, feels normal to me. And really, that's the only thing in our lives that in comparison to what was before this all happened, we can say is the common thread that is normal. Yeah, no, you're right. It is. And, you know, I know I get a lot of positive feedback from 
from friends and people I know that are watching the show to go, you know, hey, this is, it's fun. It takes my mind off it. There's not a lot of sports on TV or anything like that other than reruns. And this is live TV. We're talking about it. And uh, it is, man. I'm I'm uh, very grateful for you as well. And it's really cool that, hey, this is the kind of show we have anyways. Yes, I'm not in the studio, but this is our normal format and we haven't had to change it. Yeah, I'm sitting here in, you know, in my room, we call it the cloud room because I have a cloud couch behind me and this big white poopy thing you see. Uh, that's a little different. But nonetheless, it feels the same. And I actually feel starting, I'm starting to feel very comfortable and in a routine finally. And the best part about it is it has been four weeks now since you have busted my chops about moving to Connecticut. That has become <laughs> a non-issue. It has been a good four weeks. I don't have to about worry about Chris running the boss saying, hey, Florio should move up here. He should move up here. That's not an issue. And uh, uh, I don't think it ever will be. Uh, after all of this. All right, uh, Chris, that's it for today. You've got uh, uh, Chris Sims on button coming up later today. What do you got yep, going on? Yep, going to shoot that later today. Going to do our top, uh, my top five edge rushers in this NFL draft. A good group of guys. Going to narrow that down though, to my top five. Me, Paul Burmeister, hit on a few other news topics, but really going to be doing draft stuff from here on out with the Chris Sims on button podcast. All right, well, we'll check that out later today. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of PFT Live. Everyone stay safe, stay smart. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you carving out some of your valuable time because even if you are at home, you've got plenty of things you can be doing. We appreciate you spending some time with us. We'll see you back here again on Wednesday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.